Welcome to the Raising the Vibration podcast, where I, your host, Mike Toner, go behind the scenes with many of our favorite DJs to bring you an insight into their lives, their passions, and the challenges they face outside of music world. In this episode, Carol discusses his infamous veggie patch and his ongoing battle with the millipedes. So it took a while, you know, they all stayed quite small like this, I'm thinking they're never going to grow, you know, and, and then once they do grow, then you've got these little millipede things that just chill your plants up. His love of motorsport and speeding cars. For me, that's my vocation in, in my life, where I'm able to kind of kick, kick back and go, right, the reason why I work so hard is because of this. Yeah. The challenge of having to bury his father via YouTube stream because of the current travel restrictions. It, it, it was really difficult uh, decision to make, but it was kind of like the right, the right one based on my other family, my sisters and my niece. How Carol became a victim of a social media hate campaign. The, the hate that I got from it was just unbelievable. And I just can't believe that people could just turn like that yeah. on something that they didn't understand. And the one gig that Carl has still not ticked off his bucket list. But I want yeah. to go up there and then basically give that a bit of a blast. I'd like to start by acknowledging that we are broadcasting the Raising the Vibration podcast from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay my respect to the elders past, present and emerging. I acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people turning into the podcast today. And I'd like to celebrate the rich history of over 60,000 years of culture. Our next guest needs no introduction, an absolute legend of the house and techno music world, but someone who has made Australia his home over the last while. Carl, how the hell are you? <laughs> Well, I'm all right. <laughs> I'm good. I'm, I'm here after all these years, but uh, of course, uh, enjoying Peninsula life here yeah. in Melbourne. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You mentioned Peninsula life. I mean, it's definitely something that people wonder about. You could be living in like a penthouse in New York or on a beach in Malibu or on the Chandelier, but you have chosen Frankston. <laughs> yeah. Frankston, Frankganistan, you know, all, Frank sorts of, all, all sorts of names it's been called. Um, I, I've always seen it as as a place of, of beauty, and um, especially when you go up to Oliver's Hill and you yeah. look back and you just see the the, the, the coastline going round the Beach Road, and you keep following it round, and you, you actually get to CBD, which is a Melbourne city, um, on a clear day, of course. Um, that's the thing that done it for me. Yeah. Uh, yes, Frankston, but you go up the hill to you know going towards um, Mount Eliza, and then obviously onto Mornington. Um, it's it's beautiful. It's really it's a really nice place to be, and uh, and where I actually live is Frankston South. Oh, <laughs> that's a posh bit, isn't it? So it's a little bit posher, and uh, then Frankston as as a whole. But um, you know, it, it's it's all to do with being comfortable. Yeah. And I, yeah, I could be living anywhere in the world, and and I have been basically uh, have homes. I've had homes in Spain, um, and. Uh, Los Angeles, I was going to actually stay as well, but it, it, it was just something about being here that that's kind of driven me to be here all of all of the time. And it was when I had a hit record out in 1991 with uh, with uh, Paul Okafor's record label, Perfecto Records, at the time, and a track called "I Want You Forever." Yeah. Well, on Triple J Radio here, it was a hit record here, so it was an opportunity for me to come over and um, support the, the record release and and for people to know they knew i was djing at a lot of the rave events and a lot of the dance parties back in the uk but i had this opportunity to come here in australia and and to and to basically play here and i found all the time that i was kind of visiting adelaide or I was going to brisbane or the sunny coast or any of these any any of these places that melbourne was the thing that i kind of 
kind of fell in love with, you know, as, yeah. as, a, as a place to be in a sense of its culture and a sense of how people are here in Melbourne. Um, you know, it was always a burgeoning city. You know, I think I was here when they just built the casino yeah. and that was the highest building. And now that's the smallest building yeah. <laughs> and everything else has grown up around it over yeah, the last, yeah. you know, 28 years or something. So, it, you know, I've come in at the cusp of, of, of things that were really happening in Melbourne, you know, from, from, uh, from uh, its restaurants and, and comedy clubs and, and the arts and, 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 and all the designers, the buildings going up and everything that's, that's happened there over the years. And of course, the music has always been the, the, you know, the, the, the kind of strain of, of what people have enjoyed throughout, whether they're festival events, whether they're avant-garde events, uh, or whether they're listening to funk and soul, soul music on, on, on the beach or, or parties in the garden. Uh, it, it's just lovely to, to be able to enjoy all the aspects of, of of being here in Melbourne. And I don't think I would have had the same kind of ideal if I was living in Los Angeles or I was yeah. living in Berlin or I was living in Singapore uh, or even living in, in Spain because all the time I was in Spain, I was kind of technically working, especially in Ibiza. Yeah. You know, I couldn't really relax in Ibiza. You know, it's not as lovely as that place is. I always found myself working, working, working. Yeah. So it's to get away from that. You know, at the end of the day, I thought, oh, well, Melbourne is quite far. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I couldn't be anywhere further. But also, I've always been chasing the, the sun, the summer sun, the heat. Yeah. So I'm always here. Uh, from October, I was always uh, doing the uh, festival events and everything yeah. around about that time into the into the you know <laughs> Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. You know, even though it's thirty two degrees <laughs> on New Year's Day or more. Different um, to Manchester. Yeah, you know, definitely opposite to what it's like in the UK. Um, but I've always chased that for yeah. the last 14, 15 years that I've been here now. Um, it's difficult for me to, to change the ethos of, of why I'm here. You know, yeah. I, I really do feel uh, relaxed at a part of, of, of Australian culture life. Amazing. And how did you find, like, wh how did you come across Frankston as a destination where you thought, this is where I'm going to, like, this part of Melbourne is where I'm going to actually settle down? Well, actually, you know, I, I did a record... Um, uh, around about 91, 92, and uh, John Course is a Peninsula boy. He comes from from the same Legend area. Legend of Melbourne. Uh, from, from here. And um, I, I got the, I had the opportunity to create a record while I was here for a couple of days. And and I was always staying in St Kilda all the time that I came here to, to tour and to be in, spend time here in Melbourne. And I didn't realise that the beach road would, would bring us to, to Frankston. So I jumped in this car and he said, hey, you know, go to my studio. And like 45 minutes later, I think, where are you taking me? You know? <laughs> so, you know, eventually we ended up in the peninsula. I was like, peninsula? I said, what's that all about? You know, and, you know, took me, you know, as far up as Portsea and everything. I'm just like, wow, this place is cool. Why didn't anyone tell me that this was here, yeah. you know? And uh, so I kind of came here indirectly when I first came to produce the record with John, um, and that was for um, Vicious Vinyl Records at the time, and and it, it became a hit record and all sorts of things. So and you can see that it was all produced from the peninsula from where Amazing. he comes from. So I was kind of here by default to begin with, uh, and then Eric Powell um, and his then wife Victoria. Now he's got two kids here, uh, three kids in all. Yeah. Uh, one of them was born in Manchester. Um, he lives uh, in Mount Eliza, so. I thought, well, if I was going <coughs> to basically have someone that I knew here very well, very much so, um, that can help me, you know, find find my house and, and the area that I would like to live in and everything. Um, and then Eric was the one that said, you know, come down and check it out, see what you think think, think of being here. And um, and I, you know, I took the opportunity to, to, to do that. Some other people that I know were saying, oh, no, you, you want to be in Brighton North, you want to stay near Turak, you, you know, you want, I'm like, 
uh, this nah. is a bit of a different yeah, style yeah. Than, than, I, than I'm kind of used to because obviously it's a different story of being, uh, you know, near the city with, with being in those type of places. It's, totally. It, it's a lot more money, as, of course, as well. And those, um, some of those houses are ridiculously expensive, but, you know, it's a different, completely different style. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really want that, so I kept going. Yeah, 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 <laughs> of course. Kept going, you know, come through seafood, you know, keep going. And, and eventually found, found myself really enjoying this area and, and, and some of the houses that we found in, in the area were just outstanding and really lovely. And then eventually I found the house that, that, that suited what I would like to, to have. And, and eventually I found myself, um, you know, buying a house in, in, in Frankston South. And it's quite weird where I am because as I come up, to, as I come up the hill um, from um, Oliver's Hill from, from Frankston itself, the city, you go up the hill and literally roughly about a mile up on the left-hand side, um, you kind of turn in to, from Mount Eliza to Frankston South. Yeah, right. So and then, you go up, then you go up the road and then it's still Mount Eliza until you turn into my road and it's Frankston South again. So <laughs> as much as I wanted that Mount Eliza address, it wasn't meant it wasn't to gonna happen. <laughs> awesome. And uh, now that you're settled here, you seem to, one of the things that seems to have caught fire a lot in your Social media lately is your amazing veggie patch. You've got Coxie's veggie patch out the back of your house. How, yeah. long, have you, how long have you had that in the go? Well, I, to be honest, that, that veggie patch <coughs> has been there for about 10 years. And, and, I, and, and we basically resoiled uh, my garden. Um, when I first built my garden, um, when I first bought the house, when I bought the house, the, the guy that first guys that basically put all the indigenous plants in and everything, the, the house is, is actually built on, on clay. Yeah right. So so nothing grows in clay as you know, and it's very very hard as as as, as soil for anything to go through, uh, and and obviously plants need really good feed and good soil. So I had to excavate my whole garden um, to get really good topsoil in. So the, if I replanted everything, then they will start to grow. Yeah. So that's what I had to do to begin with. It was a lot of time and a lot of effort to get that done. So we did that at the back of the back of the garden. We took you know the clay down resold it i said that would be really good for a vegetable patch garden uh and the herb garden at some point you know? when was this How long so that was probably uh 2009 yeah right <laughs> <laughs> 10 years later you're yeah. still it's still <laughs> yeah and the thing is you know every year i come in and out come in and out you know i'll we, get to it next year yeah we, we have a really awesome uh, uh place here called tully's and they do the, the freshest uh, vegetables that, you, that you've ever seen and and when you when you go to that that marketplace and you see all those things you don't want to grow your own it's yeah. embarrassing yeah. you know they've got carrots this big and cabbage this big and onions this big and everything and and yours come out like you know yours come out like this big <laughs> yeah, yeah. Carrots like that big. so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i'm not going to uh, uh go up against them in any way shape or form but um it was since since we you know got, came into lockdown and everything I thought, you know what, I'm not going anywhere, so why don't I just see and try and grow something in this vegetable patch which we set up? And uh, so, yeah, a friend of mine, you know, gave me some broad bean seeds and some carrot seeds and and uh, spring onions, uh, parsley, uh, thyme. Um, got mint growing there at the moment. Leeks growing there at the moment. Um, but as it as at the time we we were locked down and everything in March. The weather wasn't so good. It was, yeah. you know, cold and raining. So, as you know, many 
uh, vegetables don't, don't grow in that environment because you need the sun, the heat, and the moisture for uh, the, the, the plants to react. So it took a while, you know, they all stayed quite small like this, I think, they're never going to grow, you know, and, and then once they do grow, then you've got these little millipede things that just chew your plants up. <laughs> I heard you say on one of your videos that the basil kicked the shit out of your millipede, oh, sorry, the millipedes kicked the shit out of your basil. Yeah, I can see it every day, just getting chomped and chomped and chomped, and I can see the little bastard millipedes, I'm just like, you know, I'm, now I'm getting annoyed, you know yeah. what I mean, because I've got to start trying to protect my plants, you know, you know, it's kind of like, they, they need to have a chance to grow into something, you know, yeah. that, that they, that, that, that you would like to see happen. Anyways, so once I've got the control on, on the millipede situation and everything, <laughs> and, the, and the ants as well, my God, and the white butterflies. Why, what, what damage did they do? Uh, they, they, they just chomp away at your roots and they chomp away at your stalks sure. and everything. Um, there's not much you can do actually apart from garlic uh, powder water. Really? There you go, Coxie's vegetable tips. <laughs> there we go. So you get, you get not real and garlic. Does, does that like just keep them totally away yeah they don't like it so they just go away yeah right <laughs> they don't kill them in any way shape or form they're just not around when you've got that much going on so you get a, it's like a, having a bad breath yeah you just go what are your plants the plants love it and ants hate it really that's <laughs> yeah. awesome yeah I'll, I'll, can i think to myself how am i going to get rid of these bloody ants you know and, it's, and then uh, then i saw that this lady was like oh garlic powder garlic water you know buy real garlic and everything and and uh, and you just spray it and, and it's all natural so it's all so, so it's all good nothing gets killed um but meanwhile, you know, my plants did still a chance to grow. And the, the one that's grown the most, but beets have actually started to really grow very, very well. Uh, the mint is, grows anyway, like you can't believe it, it's just crazy. The, my time is, is fantastic, that, that really, that really uh, has, has, and I use a lot of time in a lot of my, my yeah. cooking. Um, the, I have to say the broad beans are the one that surprised me because yeah. they, they, they do take a little bit of help because obviously they you know, grow quite tall, so you need to then put bamboo sticks of in course. and make sure they're growing up in the right way. And we've had, and in Melbourne, as most people would know, you get four seasons in one day. Yeah. And so the wind is the thing with my bamboo in the store. <laughs> <laughs> they're like this, uh, you know. I, I did lose half my crop actually, where one of the one of the the, the roots of the bamboo, uh, when I put the stick in the bamboo, I didn't put it on the right area and it broke off the, at the end. So I lost about ten of them. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was my full crop at the time. I'm like, oh my god, am I going to make money when I'm losing my my, my crops this way? Um, so, uh, so I was like, damn, I can't believe that that's happened. And anyway, another another stalk has grown and and it, and it grew back. Um, and then only only the other day, I looked out and and could they actually flower? Yeah, right. First, and I thought, oh, that's nice. Got a little flower at the end, you know. I've got, but in the flower is where the beans grow. Yeah, right. So you've got all this flower, and eventually you can see green. So they really started quite small, and I thought it's actually happening. Yeah. So every day I'm just looking after them, all the all of the plants, but that this was just something I was just went, wow. I, okay, so let's see how far I can take them before I, 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 I you know I pull them off, and then to start to make something with them, and they literally grew about that that long. They're quite big. You That's know? crazy. Yeah. Um, and I never thought that that would ever happen. And and uh, and then the other day I went online. And I was really happy with my broad beans, you know. And I, was, I said, "Look at this!" You know, since I've been here, here on lockdown and everything, I've managed to grow broad beans, and and it, they are really nice, fresh, raw. You can yeah. just take it straight out. You can eat them. Delicious. Uh, it's got a little little sweet taste in it. Uh, there's so many things you can make with broad beans. Have, have you made anything with them yet? Um, not at the moment. No, I've just kind of collated them, and I and I went online to see, you know, to, to give me some sort of ideas on. Um, 
what to do with them. And there's some amazing ideas to what yeah. to do. With. But I think I'm, I'm just going to make a, a broad bean dip from them. Yeah, cool, cool. Nice and easy, um, and just you know, juice them up and and uh, you know, and, and, and make some sort of some sort yeah. of taste out of them. So well, I can actually get some crackers. and go, this is Coxie broad bean <laughs> broad, broad bean dip. And just get into career it. change. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's something so rewarding about cooking with the stuff you've put made in your own garden. It's just it's just it's just going to taste better, you know. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Uh, and that's the thing about it. You know, it's it's kind of nice to know that you can go to the garden and, and you can pick up your parsley or, or thyme or your rosemary, all these things that you would normally go to the shop to go and buy. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I've got that I've decided to, uh, to plant is in my back garden. Yeah. If it isn't there, then I'll of course go and buy it. But it's kind, of, it's kind of nice to know that you can actually live off the land if you yeah. choose to do it. Will you try the basil again or are you going to leave that to the millipedes this time around? <laughs> the millipedes are not going to have a chance of yeah. my basil. <laughs> And uh, on the subject of cooking, another thing that's been a bit of a hit for you this year has been your banana bread. Yeah, that was a major hit. I just cannot. How believe. did that come about? Tell us. Yeah, I cannot believe how how much attention that I got on the <laughs> banana bread. And everyone knows, calories-wise, it's not that great, you know, <laughs> and sugar-wise. But you know, anything that that tastes, tastes good, that, that good is that bad, of course. But. Um, it was amazing because I, I I haven't been perceived to be uh, someone that bakes obviously. Yeah. You know, because I'm always DJing and playing playing here after parties, all this sort of, you know, out, being out all the time. How does one have time to make banana bread? Well, you know, have a pandemic and COVID nineteen. <laughs> uh, you can't go anywhere. You're on full lockdown. So you know what? Anything that that's in your cupboard uh, that could basically make banana bread, and then for sure go for it. Yeah. And that's all I did. I actually went in and I actually went for it. I. I, I had all the ingredients and I was just like, yeah, I've got enough butter, I've got enough, well, you know, I've got enough, um, uh, I've got enough sugar, brown sugar, I've got enough eggs, I've got enough, you know, uh, bananas have to be kind of more or less going off, so they, they, they taste a bit tweener, but also easier to, to manipulate, once you've started to making, making the, uh, uh, the mix for it, uh, all, all of this stuff, and I was just kind of like, just going through the recipe and I was like, oh. and it really came together when I actually made the, the, the mix and then I, then I put it in the tray and, and, um, and then put it in the oven for you know, just under an hour and it came out golden brown, oh, nicely raised perfect. and the smell was delicious and everything. And I just got the camera out and I just showed people what I'd done and then I you know, cut it and, and, um, and I ate it and I was like, oh, this is delicious. And that was it. Yeah. And I put it up online and um, it just went viral. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> Coxie's banana bread, and I was like, "Oh my god!" And then what was really nice to see that the, the reaction from people uh, was really wholesome. You know, yeah. it, it, they really felt that that at the end of the day, yeah, you're suffering indoors, you're suffering indoors, yeah, I'm suffering indoors too. Yeah, but this gives everyone a little bit of hope, you know, to know that you, you can do exactly the same thing. What I've done, um, it doesn't take much in some ways to, even if you've never done it before, give it a go, um, and and that kind of. Niceness, yeah. ni- niceties about about, and it kind of sounds like as well. It was just like you happened to have this stuff lying in your cupboard. It wasn't like you, there was a huge amount of effort to go and get it. No, and it's been in there for years. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> the bananas weren't. Yeah, yeah no, the bananas for sure. But it's been there for years, and I and I was just thinking myself, you know what? It, it's this is a really good time to to go through the cupboard and to see yeah. what I can make while it's in there. Because when 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 I got back from America, I was on an American tour at the time, and. Uh, and, and the whole kind of pandemic started in America and, and I had an opportunity to come back to England or, or to, to, to come here in Australia uh, and I decided to come back to Australia. Um, nobody was ready, you know, in my house to, to get any shopping in or yeah, anything. Yeah. And everyone was going mad about, you know, hand sanitizer and, and toilet yeah. rolls. 
I'm like, what's happened here? <laughs> so when I was away, uh, Eric Powell, he said, listen, you need to go and do some shopping. And I was like, well, I can't go out because you know, everyone's locked down. I said, yeah, don't worry, go, go on the Coles website, register and then get, all, get, get everything you need. So by the time you turn up, you'll, you'll get everything delivered to you. Anyway, that week, they said that Coles, they're not going to have any Coles delivery. So I literally had no food in my house and nobody could come around to cook anything um, uh, for me or anything, uh, apart from my neighbours would have been absolutely fantastic. Because I knew that I had to yeah. self-quarantine for 14 days and I can't get anything in. I've only got whatever I've got in the cupboards. And I was just like, wow, this is a scenario. <laughs> I can't order pizzas. I can't do anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one's moving or doing anything. So, you know, it was a great reflection in, in, in what I have around me. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in some ways, it, it kind of drove me to do something positive yeah. and, and, to, and to basically grow something in my garden, which is probably one of the easiest things to do, one of the hardest things to maintain. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it one, it's one thing about planting something. The next thing about looking after those plants. Yeah. You know, even, even when they go full term, um, there's lots of weeds that come around them and everything else like that. It really is like looking after a pet. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I guess it's like a it's like a, a life skill as well. You know, it's, yeah. it's good to like, you know, open your mind to like, you know, learning about how to manage something that needs an ongoing ongoing care. And, you know, it's and there's something nice as well about watching things grow. I think, you know, it's just every day it gets a little bit bigger. And yeah, I, I mean, I'll, I'll go up. I'll get, my ritual is kind of getting up. Um, I go to the kitchen and I go grab an orange juice or whatever, and then I sleepy eyed still, you know. I go around in the back garden, you know, and I see how the poor old plants are doing. Talk to them, <laughs> you know. How's it going today? You know, you're all right. <laughs> oh, you're a little bit wavery, you know. Let's get you back up again, you know. And the leaks are turning up, and I'll get you out. I'll get you out with that that, that plot. That I've got them in a plant plot, and I make my leaks. I've got to get them out and put them into yeah. into a bit wider space because because what happened was a friend of mine gave me the leaks, and they were quite short and and dying. And I thought, I wonder if I could save them and revive them, you know? And they did. Most to most. Yeah. They come back. And I sort of stroke them every day, you know, to make sure they've got enough moisture on them. But they really are growing. It's amazing. Uh, I've never had this before. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something um, of, of which, I mean, people all over the world have their allotments and, and yeah. have their farm, and they farm all this stuff all the time. Um, and, I, and I get how people get so uh, into growing things totally. a friend of mine that grows lots of chilies really into growing chilies yeah. and, and tomatoes and that kind of thing and i'll try i'll try them um at the moment but i, I don't want to be uh, uh i don't want to have too many juggling too many things around yeah i want to try to be jack of the jack yeah, of, yeah. of that trade and the jack of that trade and, and then then eventually i'll, I'll go on to tomatoes and chilies cool <laughs> and another another i guess trade that you've got and you're pretty well known for is your your cars and like your motorsport team as well how did that come about? Was it something that, as a young boy, you wanted to own a motorsport team, or was it something that organically happened? It, it really organically <laughs> happened. I've always been into racing. I've always yeah. been into cars. Were you a mechanic uh, at one stage? Uh, yeah, I went to college for mo for, for uh, motor mechanic course and and passed that. And and I did see, I did see myself as a motor mechanic. Um, I've always been into fast cars, fast motorcycles, um, and racing. I've always been into it, and, and I used to watch a lot of racing. Sidecar racing for me was something of which I kind of really enjoyed watching because of the synergy between two people, you know, getting a, a, a bicycle, a motorbike, and a sidecar attached to it, yeah. going around these bends, you know, one's hanging off and yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. weight and distribution, and then they get on the other side of the, of the, of the saddle, and, and they're both in it together when they go down the straight. Um, it takes a lot of effort to do that, and, yeah. and you need some quite big nads to 
to, to hang on, you know what I mean, yeah. for, for dear life doing, doing that kind of sport. Um, I remember going to Branzatch many years ago in the 70s and, and watching that, that happen. Uh, and then I basically was always tuning in, watching the Isle of Man TT, where they, where they had... I, I was interested in the bikes going through, but I'm more interested in watching the sidecars. So as, as we get on, going on in, in my life, I used to drag race many years ago, back in the 80s, and it was a Ford Capri Mark I. I used to drag race and blow up. Was this legal, legal or illegal drag race? No, illegal drag yeah, racing, yeah. Santa Pod Raceway in yeah. Northamptonshire. And it used to be a thing every, every, uh, every month called run, run What You Brung. So whatever you took, they were, so that's what you took down the strip, which is brilliant. So you can have like an 850 mini, yeah. you can have an, a, 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 not a push bike, but it didn't matter what you had, as long, as long as you enjoyed the fact that you had the experience of drag racing. Yeah. Uh, but I kind of took it up a notch. You know, every time I went down, I wanted to go faster. But the problem is, especially at that time, I didn't really have the money for racing. If I blow, blew up a gearbox, um, Two extra gigs that week. <laughs> well, yeah, or no gigs that week, no yeah. car, you know what I mean? So, so you know, I always had this kind of confliction of, of racing and blowing things up. And, and then basically, if I did make any money for DJing, I was, I was a scaffolder by trade at the time, um, it would all go back into my music, my records, or into my car. Yeah. I couldn't do both. Yeah. So eventually I stopped the drag racing and, and, motor, and not motorbike racing, but I, I was always on motorbikes uh, yeah. at, the, at the time. I started off with, uh, uh, just out of school, 16 years old, had a, a bike from Yamaha called an FS1E, yeah. and a fizzy for short. <coughs> and all my friends had fizzies, and we would go around as a gang, 50cc, <laughs> terrorizing the, the neighborhoods uh, with our little 50cc bikes. Um, but I used to ride pushies before that all yeah. the time. Uh, but as soon as an engine came up to a frame, <laughs> sorry pushies, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm out. And, uh, and that was it for me. And then I went from a 50cc to a 125, and I went from 125 to 175, and a Yamaha DT175, gorgeous bike, uh, gold wheels, everything, you're up, you kind of like a trials bike, and that was me. And I went from that to a, a sports bike, which I have one here, uh, called a Yamaha, F, uh, Yamaha LC250 and 350LC. Yeah. So the 250 and the are both bikes. And and these basically were widow makers. They, they, yeah, they, right. They, they, they were fun and not fun because they, they're fun because they're really, really fast and quick and not fun if you couldn't control them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and especially when we never really took those bikes on the track, we would do a lot of our riding on the road. Uh, and, uh, and unfortunately, a couple of friends of mine died on those bikes. And that was it. I was out from riding motorcycles from the 80s. <coughs> but moving here to Australia in 2003, 2004, the first thing I wanted to do was get back on the ride on the motorbike yeah, right. again. And then, you know, all the friends that I have here, all petrol heads, yeah. and all got bloody race cars and stuff and street cars. I'm just like, this is great. You, you, so you didn't have a choice in I that I fell sense. right into the trap of it all, yeah. you know, um, of all the things that I haven't done for years. Because, I, of course, through the 80s into the 90s, you know, my career really took off in 88. Yeah. So I wasn't interested in, in Ironman racing. I wasn't interested in riding motorcycles myself. I just wanted cars to get me to A to B, to get to the parties from yeah. A to B. Yeah. Um, it took a little while to get to the car in the end of the day, of which I still have here today, actually, which is my Mercedes. Um, it's called a 560 SEC and a big V8 two-door coupe. And all my cars are V8 two-door coupes. Um, but I just needed a car to get me from A to B, which was going to be trouble-free. Yeah. So when I started making a bit of money, that was the car that I went and bought in 19, uh, 
96, 95, 96, I bought that car. Amazing. And I still have it here. Um, and I brought it to Australia. Uh, so that's been part of my heritage of when I started to become successful. Yeah. And did you race touring cars or just drag cars? Or uh, what, what, at what point did you start racing? Yeah. So, so basically with uh, me professional racing now here in Australia, uh, it all started in 2012. Yeah. And, um, and again, one of the cars that I have here, um, we converted it from a touring car, which was uh, is, is a is a Holden um, 1971 uh, HG Premier, and uh, and everyone in Australia remembers these cars, you know, as grocery getters, uh, yeah. as uh, as your nan's car, whatever, yeah. you know. And this was turned into a uh, into a uh, touring car, which raced at the Targa Tasmania uh, in 2009. And then it got sold. Uh, a, friend, a friend of mine told me about this car. <coughs> I went to go and see it. I really, I loved it. You know, twin headlights, old school, four door. Um, but it just looked fantastic in, the, in its factory green color, with Monaro stripes down the, down the thing. And, and, uh, and, I, and I wanted an Aussie muscle car. That's what yeah, I wanted. Yeah. You know, and, and the Aussies love it. You know <coughs> I mean, Coxie and a Holden. <laughs> uh, you know, it's all, all's good with the world. Yeah. You know? And uh, so, so I got this car and. and um, it's got a straight six end. You had its original engine in, but it's a bit, had a bit of work done to it to give it a bit more pep, but it's still four on the floor, clutch and all that sort of stuff. Um, it it kind of drove like, like, like a bag of shit, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't the best handling car, but you know, that's what they are. That's what it, that's what it does. And as soon as I bought it back, back to my friends here who went to their V8s car, and they saw my car and they were like, oh, you bought a Holden ever? I said, yeah. And they were like, they all know what it is, HGR. I was like, oh no, HK, HGR, I'm sure it's one that you guys like. And uh, they said, it's still got its original engine. And I said, yeah, it's got a straight six, it's got triple webbers on it. It's got a high lift cam and it's got this skimmed head and you know, over, overboard, overboard pistons and all that. Um, and they're like, yeah, that's coming out. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean the engine's coming out? Said, yeah, no, no, you don't want that. I said, yeah, I do want that because yeah, what yeah. makes the car go? Yeah, no, nah, not quick enough. It's, it's a snail. I'm like, it's not a snail. It's, it goes quite well. Anyway, I went away. I came back and it had a 440 small block Chevy engine in it. <laughs> uh, and it went from 220 horsepower up to 625 horsepower. Oh, straight shit. Up. And, um, and then that's the first car that I drag raced once it had been all done. Now the car's gone through a bit of a transformation at the moment. And now it's sitting here with 2,000 horsepower in it. 2,000? So single turbo. Is, is that the fastest car you've been in? Or? Um, uh, it will be. We haven't really taken it out at the moment for, from a streetcar perspective, but we're looking to run seven seconds in that streetcar. What, what's, the, what's the fastest you've ever gone in a car? Well, I, I started to really enjoy the aspect of getting back to drag racing again. Yeah. And, and now that I can afford to, yeah. to, to track race, which is still very expensive, by the way, um, yeah. it's... Um, I love doing it. I, yeah. I really, that, for me, that's my vocation in, in my life where I'm able to kind of kick, kick back and go, right, the reason why I work so hard is because of this. Whee! Yeah, the six <laughs> seconds. <laughs> six second passes. And, you know, when I started I mean, racing cars, as drag cars, and doing a quarter mile passes, my first fastest pass was 17 seconds at 82 mile an hour. Yeah. So to go from that to 6.1 seconds at 234 mile an hour yeah. is a massive jump. 234, what's that in kilometers? Like, that's nearly it's, it's 400, free, uh, 400 it's, near an hour nearly. It's, uh, it's just under 400 k's, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's very, very yeah. fast. And, uh, and it's in the shape of a thing called a Pro Mod. And the Pro Mod is, is these cars that they look like the cars that they, they, they were made, but they're, they're stretched out because of the chassis and the engine plant that it has in the car. Um, and, they, and when they roll out and then 
you, you go, okay, this is something quite yeah. serious when they roll out. But I had to learn to, to drive the Pro Mod by driving the street cars first. Yeah. And then and then I bought a drag car in the shape of a Mark 1 Capri, which has an over 2,000 horsepower V8 engine in that uh, single turbo. And I got used to driving that car. So I got that car down from eight seconds all the way down to uh, 6.9 seconds at 200 mile an hour plus. Um, and then to go from that car into the Pro Mod. Yeah. So it wasn't like it went from you know, 70 seconds into this. Uh, you know, over the years, uh, I did my, uh, my apprenticeship uh, completely in, in the realms of the drag cars that I've had. So I, 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 I like it. I mean, I don't play golf, you know, I don't yeah. horse rider, I don't, I don't do any of, those, uh, any of those things, but it's actually quite unorthodox for a DJ to jump into a drag car. <laughs> uh, like on that note, how do you think the rush compares to say, for example, racing in a drag car versus playing in front of 10,000 people at space on the closing party? Are they comparable? Um, they're not really comparable, but I think that the, the satisfaction that I get is, is probably the same. Yeah. Because the, 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 the thing is, when you're in a drag car, you, you, you are on your own. Yeah. You know, once you're in that car and it's you and the lights and it's you against time, so it, it kind of slows down everything to the point when you let the button go to leave, and then that's all you, yeah. Or yeah. that's all me. And I've got to basically keep it off the driver, keep it off the center line, and keep it off the wall <laughs> for that six seconds at over two hundred miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. And then to slow that car down for two hundred miles an hour, when you pull the parachutes, the G forces is at least four four Gs that pulls you back to slow you down, and you hit the brake just so you stabilize the car, so you just roll out down the other end. Um, that's really accelerating, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. But when you got when you're in the mix of a record and, and you've got like you know ten thousand, twenty thousand people in front of you, and you can feel the energy building up, building up, and you just kind of drop that record, bang, you yeah. know. You just, anyone's going mad about it, um, you know, because you created those moments. Uh, that is that is some feeling, you know. Yeah, the end yeah. Of the day. And, and I don't always look for that feeling. It's just that if you you're creating something really unique and not planned or whatever, and, and you, you get you find yourself in that moment, yeah. And then there's nothing that can beat that either. Totally. Mm -hmm. it, there's obviously with the drag car thing, I mean, there's clearly a part of you that loves like adrenaline. <laughs> Is there any, any other sports running that you've, that you want to take off the list that you haven't touched yet from an adrenaline point of view? Yeah, I mean, I, I always I always wanted to skydive. Really? Yeah, but oh, you I'm, should do it, man. But I'm, I'm a bit too heavy, so I'll be like a stone. You've got to be 100 kilos, and I'm a bit more than that. Yeah. So, so if I went to skydive and the pull the shoots, I just keep going. Yeah, and uh, they don't want that. So if I lost a few few kilos, then maybe I could I could do that. But skydiving, yeah, jumping out of a plane, uh, I wouldn't mind doing that. I I I, th I went over to New Zealand, uh, the Queenstown, and and I was there for a part of the. Um, the tourism, New Zealand tourism yeah. uh, group, and, and they, me as a so-called celebrity, they wanted me to kind of enjoy the, the extreme sports of, yeah. of being... being that, that's um, like the adventure sports capital of the Southern Hemisphere, right? Oh, yeah, and they wanted me to check out what it was like to, to, <laughs> to do some of this stuff. So, yeah, I went out on a dirt bike and moving across all the remarkable uh, mountain ranges there, yeah. which are just amazing. Um, and then going out the quads, going out on dirt bikes, did all of that. But I did say there's all this list of things to do. I said, look, there's one thing I'm not doing, and that's bungee jumping. I don't want anything to do with bungee. Okay? <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> yeah, no worries. And then the next, and then one morning we woke up. I said, right, we're going bungee jumping. Oh. I'm like, no, we're not. I'm like, you can't be kidding me. So they got this one jump called Nevis. I've done uh, it. You've done Nevis, yeah. 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 I didn't do Nevis. Yeah. I, I, I'll just like, I'll just like that when I went past <laughs> it. I mean, you know what it's like to jump yeah. off, and and the whole 
fear factor of it, I think, goes away once you've done it. There's there's a, there's an eight second free fall with that. Like eight eight yeah. seconds before you feel the that, rope. That's a lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I did do was a thing called the uh, the canyon swing. Oh, it's the same thing, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> How so, was that? So I'm I'm like, okay. So I've got a group of people with me, about twelve people. I said, right. I said, I'm going first. I get this, just just get this out of the way. You know what I mean? Anyway, so I had this helmet on with this bloody camera like an elephant's trunk yeah. with, a, with a GoPro so it's right in my face like this you know recording flash 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 and uh and then and then, then they record you going down so I said how do you want to go down I said I don't really care I just want to get this over I said how about if you go around backwards yeah I was like oh, okay whatever yeah backwards so so <laughs> so they got me going going down backwards and then, you know they're all <laughs> linking me up and everything and I'm standing on the edge like that and they've got all of me like that. And, and one of them's go, whoa, whoa, you know, we got you. Whoa, we, did, we didn't quite do that one up. And I'm just like, stop me. And they go, oh, well, no, we've done it again. Oh, you know, and I'm just thinking, oh, my God. You know? And then and you, your heart must have been... It was like... Brrr. And then, then the next thing, you know, the guy goes, you ready? What, what's going on? He said, oh, yeah, we're ready. And then let me go. Yeah, yeah. Just... And on the way down, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you just swear words. Slow motion. Just coming out. I'm like, ah, I'm going to die. I'm going to kill you too first. Ah. I was all going down. There's a video of it. And then, uh, and then you get onto the bungee. You go, bong, And you just go, whoosh. And you just go, frost the canyon. And I was like, yippee. And I was yeah. like, wee, the other way. And I was like, whoosh. I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> you know, really like, oh, I'm A of my life. Anyway, so they pull me back up. I said, I said, that was really good. He said, yeah, well, you need to do another one. I said, no, you don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah this requirement. Okay, so how do you want to go down this time? Well, now that I know what it feels like, I said, you know, I'll go down head first. Yeah. So they put you on this, 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 this gable sort of thing going across. So, it comes, so you get upside down and <laughs> strap you up under, under your groin and everything. And you, go, and you go out like this and then literally you have a cable that they pull in they go and you just drop you yeah. ah! <laughs> <laughs> go straight down towards it and again you get, you get on the band all your organs are just up through your body oh my god you go wee you go yeah. this way and wee that way uh, I, it was such fun you know yeah. I'm, I'm very very happy to have when, done when, it. when was that when did you do that oh my god I mean that that has to be probably about 12 years ago yeah now. right it was quite a while ago once I did that because I was always going to New Zealand to to ride a uh, toured uh, motorcycles around yeah. New Zealand and, and that's one of the reasons why uh, I ended up in New Zealand. I actually um, do love being in New Zealand yeah. and, and I bought a house in a place called Picton on the South Island. Yeah. So we would take our motorbikes and then, then we use it as central bases and then yeah. we go tour around the island. Are, are, you, are you planning to get there this year to New Zealand at all? I've like, been trying to get there to New Zealand since, since March and, yeah. um, and then we nearly nearly had uh, the ability to go not long ago and then they obviously closed it off yeah. again. Um, as soon as I get to New Zealand I'm there. You know, I've got some race cars there and uh, that I'll, do, I'll do circuit racing yeah. uh, once I'm there and the hill climb racing as well. Um, yeah, I love being in New Zealand, man. Yeah. It's, uh, I must say I love Australia. Uh, New Zealand, for me, is, is a fantastic place so to be. So you, you got back this year. You came back from America in March. Is that right? Did you have to quarantine when you came back? Straight up, yeah. It, it, we, we kind of missed it by not quarantined by one day. Yeah. Oh so so the day if he came a day before, come home, no quarantine. Yeah, right. The day after, when everyone started freaking out, you know, when the, when the, when the cruise ship came in and everything, and then they said, right, everyone's self-quarantined. But... But they were self-quarantined at a hotel. Yeah. So I missed that bit. Well, I didn't miss that bit. It's just that I came in when I said, y you, when you go home, self-quarantine. Yeah. So my maddest thing that I had when I, when I got back into the country is that 
the paparazzi was on me knowing, knowing that I come back from, from a tour and, uh, and, America asking, as well, America, which is and they were asking right. me what's going on and I was like well <laughs> Donald Trump's you know he's cut everyone off and we just managed to escape but even at that particular point in time um, I had some fans that were around and I said oh Carl Cox you know can we get a picture yeah I'm like yeah no worries <laughs> picture picture uh, social distancing anyone? Yeah, Mask, uh, no? yeah, of course. Didn't have any of that. So, you know, in the Herald Sun, next week, Cole Cox turns up, yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> take a picture with fans and I'll chill. Like, oh my God, no. So, anyway, it was pretty calmed down at that particular time. Got back to the house. Uh, we, we quarantined and, um, but I couldn't leave the house or anything because as soon as, if, if I, if you, you know, my car's out there with my plate, you could see it's me. Yeah. Uh, you know, they'd be like, Cole Cox is not quarantined and it just would have been a whole, yeah whole mess so I really did, did hide from everybody uh, until until for two weeks and then you know they were kind of getting a handle on what was going on with the COVID but um, not really so they had one day where everyone was like yeah no worries you can do what you like I think I was sitting there on Sunday lockdown yeah so that was it so from that point on um, until two weeks ago um, you know we've been living in COVID times totally mm -hmm. how did you cope with the I guess the mental stress of quarantine were you okay with it or I don't, think, I, yeah, I don't think anyone's okay with it. Yeah. I mean, for me, I mean, people have always seen me out, outdoors, out of my house, in a hotel somewhere, staying with friends, you know, being in England, being in Spain, being in Italy, being in France, Germany. You know, my life is like being out and being yeah. out and around. And now be, be told to stay indoors. Yeah. was kind of like, my mum told me to stay indoors when I was 14. <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And I, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I'm of a certain age now, and it's like, now be told to stay indoors. I'm yeah. just like, and we really can't go anywhere. This is, you know, a pandemic. This is yeah. very, very serious. This is no, this is no movie um, of, of, you know, which you, know, you can see uh, um, on Netflix or yeah. <laughs> a certain breakout and all sorts of things that you, you know, uh, on all these movies. Um, we're living in in real times with this, and and how every individual deals with it. Now, I, I was away from my family, from from the UK, away from my friends. You know, uh, unfortunately, my father, he died through pandemic times, not through COVID, but he had um, he'd been dealing with uh, dementia for, right. for quite a few years. And, um, and I actually went to go and see him um, in December because yeah. he, was, he was taking ill a bit more. And, you know, and I mean, I haven't been able to speak to my dad for maybe six or seven years. He doesn't even know who I am. When you've got dementia, yeah, you know, this, this was a, a very difficult thing, but he's alive, you know? Yeah. But then when I went to see him, he was very frail, very, very skinny. Uh, it looked like he was gonna go around about, you know, maybe the 1st of January. So I went over there, done all the funeral arrangements, everything that goes with it. And uh, he wasn't sure when he was gonna go. So we always had this thing nearly every day, you know, we're going to get the phone call, we're going to get the phone call. Um, and then he was eating and he was, he was getting upright and he was kind of like, he's in his eyes, he was, look, looks like he could do another two more years. I think, how does that work out? Yeah. I go all the way over there, thought he's on his deathbed. Now he's eating, he's, you know, you can see in his like, joys in his eye and I'm just like, he ain't getting down without a fight. Yeah, yeah. Well, man, so anyway. I could tell he was going up and down and they were telling us, you know, he, now he's on gas, now he's, now he's kind of eating, now he's on gas. And I'm just thinking, this is just so tough, you know, what, you know, also almost waiting for my dad to, to, to pass over. <coughs> Excuse me. And then it happened, you know, yeah. um, in, in, uh, in, in my birthday month as well, 12th of, 12th of July. Um, and then we can't go and see him, can't leave the yeah. country, you know, and even for compassionate reasons, 
they would let me go in Australia, but probably in Barbados, they weren't letting anyone go into Barbados because yeah. of, of, of the pandemic and everything. So, so was, it, was he back in Barbados? So he was in Barbados. And the mad thing for me, to be in Barbados, to leave here to go and see him and to be there for his funeral, I would have had to basically um, go into some quarantine situations. It would have taken me ages to get there. Three flights, you know, one from here. Uh, from, and from Melbourne. also with Australia, if you leave Australia, you, you can't come back for three months minimum now. So it's like you've got a quarantine for two weeks either side plus a three month minimum in a way. So it's if like, I would have gone, I wouldn't be here today. Yeah. Um, and, and not not for any selfish reason. It's just that for me, I didn't want to bring anything back if I was gone out there. And, and, and not only because I'm not a, uh, an Australian citizen, that means I would have had to go back to the UK. Yeah. And then and everything that I've done here so far in Australia um, with my streaming shows and that, I wouldn't have been able to do what I was back in the UK as well. So it, it, it was really difficult uh, decision to make, but it was kind of like the right, the right one based on my other family, my sisters and my niece, uh, Rihanna and Pamela and Andrea, they went over there and they were physically there uh, to, to do the, the final, the final funeral uh, and the procession and, and, and the service and everything that goes with it. Um, now, the only way that I could see it was through YouTube. Yeah, I'm like streaming show. I mean, that's like streams. I'm like, so I do all these positive streams yeah, for everyone else. Yeah, and this streams about no, no, my, watching my father's. Not imagine how you imagine burying your father. <laughs> no, not in. The, seriously, not in this time. So you know, a minute ago, I'm touring America. All the gigs are sold out. Everyone's having a great time. Looking forward to to to, to doing the ultra music festival yeah. like always. Um, all of this, and then it just just all got basically the rug got pulled underneath me, and and, it, and, it, and you know the industry is fall off the side of the cliff the whole lot. Um, I'm like, okay, well, we'll get through this, but this scenario, how I deal with this with my father, I'm just like, this is really, really weird. So anyway, I tuned in, it was eight o'clock in the evening. Um, I was in the room on uh, my own, I had a GNT and I was just waiting for it to start and it started, I could see him, I could see my sisters. And um, you know, my sister did a, did a eulogy for my father. Um, I did the eulogy for my mother four years ago. Yeah. And that's, I know how hard it is to do one of those. and to get it across to everyone. And I watched my sister do it and she just had me in tears, you know, yeah. and it was, she, she completely stepped up um, based on what she knew she had to do because um, I remember when, when um, my mum passed and, they, and, and my, it, here's me and my three, two sisters and my niece, they said, and, uh, and uh, the guy at the funeral home goes, okay, well, someone has to do a eulogy. And all three of us said, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, yeah. thanks. Yeah, because you're shy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing it. They said outright, we, we can't do it. Yeah. Emotionally, we, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. So I sat there, wrote out, you know, all the great things about my mum and everything and how I grew up and, and this sort of stuff. And then I had to read it out to, you know, people, some people I knew a lot I didn't know. Um, I made a little joke in there where my mum always used to tell me to turn it down in a Bajan accent with the music I always <laughs> played. And I kind of lightened the mood a little bit, but you know, it's a bit, a bit of what my mum was like and, and, and how I grew up. So I knew, I know what it's like with my sister and when I was watching it, but I couldn't physically be there, you know? Yeah. So I'm literally kind of touching the TV with my sister and my dad was there and everything. I was just like, I just, I just cannot believe yeah. this. this is, apart from my career and, and my health and my life, the way that it's gone, to deal with something like that. But the only way I got through it in some ways is the music. Yeah. The the idea that um, my father and my mother would want me to carry on the Cox family name based on how happy I make people feel with my music. Yeah. And where we are right now, I did a uh, an hour and a half 
uh, of playing music and a tribute to my father. That's right. So his music that I played here and, and I'll stream that was, was like soul and funk yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's right. uh, it was a bit of elvis presley in there all sorts yeah. of amazing things that my, my dad basically bought the music and played all the time and um and and that's probably one of the hardest sets i've ever had to do yeah it was, it was a, a tribute to my father but also what was amazing that we were connected to the prime minister of barbados yeah. her name's mia motley and um and we had her here on on the tv talking to me and her uh about uh, my father and, and, um, and she's uh, had condolences um, from Barbados and from her to me and she was basically saying about when you come to Barbados you know and you obviously welcome me with open arms and all this sort of stuff and if you want to make a party here well, I, could, I could make it there's a prime minister you know? <laughs> and I'm talking to her like this I'm thinking ah. <laughs> now I'm talking to the prime minister of Barbados you know it's yeah, like, yeah. oh my god I mean my mum and dad if they were alive they'd be very proud of me yeah, in of that way you know being able to reach out to someone of, of, of such a nature uh, but because of the music has brought us together in that way yeah. so and Barbados has got such a, a you know a cultural heritage with being so musical and you know it's always such a passionate place for music as well yeah and and that's why I carry the sword for it <laughs> uh, the torch for it yeah. so it's it's really you know, it, it, it makes it makes of something of you who you are, uh, and the strength of who you are in some ways. If if you're able to understand where we are, what we're doing, and how it's making other people feel, because the, the week after my father, I had to kind of get back onto where I am. Uh, but I thanked everybody and and uh, for tuning in, and it was amazing because it was really watched by a lot of people. Yeah. And even though it may not be the music that you that you know or like, or even was born when it came out, they can understand the passion and and where the music comes from, which is my father. Yeah, yeah. Because because I was exposed to the music that he bought and played, and I played his music to his family and friends over the years, and that, in some ways, got me to be the, the person and the teacher that I am. Amazing, yeah. It sounds like you've taken, obviously, what was like a terrible experience and having to, you know, lay your father to rest via YouTube and turned it into something really positive, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, it's, I don't think most people could have handled nah, that, to be honest. Nah. And, and I know they're still not handling it because obviously, you know, we've had so many deaths yeah. through, through, through COVID-19 as well, you know, and, and, and I know what it's like to lose somebody yeah. of, you know, so close, especially a parent. So uh, I, I feel sorry for all those that have lost also, also loved ones through this as well. Yeah. This is no joke and it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not supposed to be seen as, as something that's just going to pass. We are living in, in, in these times based on how we live, yeah. how we live it, and, and how we support others by what we do. I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, based on how I got through all of this, also gets people to understand how important it is to, to, to not just comply, but just to understand where we are and what we're doing. And, and for us to get to where we are here in, in Melbourne, Australia, especially Victoria, to have zero cases and zero deaths after 28 days, Unbelievable. it just, just shows you what what we can do all do together yeah. in the end of the day and even if we didn't like it to begin with yeah. you know now people understand that poor old dan <laughs> yeah he's gonna get it in the neck at some point uh, but you know he someone had to lead the, the country someone had to make a decision if it wasn't dan it would have been someone else yeah. and if they made the decision they would have been witch hunt and head hunted you know based on the decisions as well he or she so i don't think i don't think it's um the worst thing that, that could have happened for us because we, we, we seen a light at the end of the tunnel. But you know, my journey of all of this has been the worst yeah. uh, it could possibly be, but also the most positive it can with the outcome of what I've done to make people happy, especially through my Cabin Fever shows. Amazing. And, and Carol, that, that probably wasn't the only challenge you had this year because 
you know, I'm aware that there was, you were probably like, you could call like a little bit of a victim of a, a, a social media campaign that went a bit pear-shaped. Do you want to, you want to tell us about what happened this year? And like, yeah, it was, uh, I know you were portrayed in probably not a favorable light over, over a tour manager incident. And it was mm. actually, it, it, nothing could be further from the truth in, in regards to how you treat your tour manager. He's one of your best friends. You really look after him. And yeah, do you want, yeah. <laughs> do, 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 do you want to, do you want to just tell us your side of the story and what happened? Yeah. I, I mean, the, the thing is, uh, the, the person that, that highlighted the whole thing to begin with, um, and, um, and uh, he decided to make like a, a shock kind of revelation for his own YouTube channel. Um, and he decided like clickbait. Yeah. He, he decided to, to really create something or a narrative, uh, towards successful big name DJs. You know, he really had some sort of, um, angle. To, to, to kind of expose us in, in, in like a in, witch hunt, in, in, yeah, to, to, to see what we really like as people. The worst part about it was for me is that the person that did this, and um, I will name him, yeah. <laughs> but I worked with him for 15 years uh, under a, a record, like a record company, uh, a radio, a radio company, sorry, a company called Radio Department, and uh. And I worked with them for 15 years, making my global shows with them. And basically, the, the shows, if you sold the shows, would be probably about one or 2,000 euros or maybe pounds per show to each individual country, to each individual terrestrial radio station. Um, the company, this company basically um, sells those shows into them. And then they use their shows, you know, they've got Colcox exclusive um, uh, as a broadcast. And I did over 700 two-hour shows with them. So he knows what I'm like as a person. I'm a very giving person. One of the reasons why I stopped working with them was because I used to charge them 50 pounds per show just so they can help their company grow, which they have done. Um, and then he asked me to waiver the 50 pounds because he was saying that uh, some of the radio stations didn't want to pay any more money to these shows um, and, and could be doing it for nothing. I said no, because it takes a day and a half to, to give them what they need to have a two-hour show. And, and I did that respectively for 15 years. So I'm like, okay. So what happened was Ian, Ian uh, my tour manager, he asked me to make a small video. It was right here as well. He said, can you just, you know, smile and, and say, can you donate here for my tour managers? I don't ever really thought anything of it I'd, because these guys can actually DJ themselves. You know, yeah. they're, they're closet DJs. Yeah. But what they was what they were asking for was what they were having a bit of fun, and the fun was that they, they made a bit uh, a mix, of which if you wanted to, you could you could pay five dollars or five euros for it, um, and then you get this mix. Uh, I, I don't know exactly how it was all going down. I should have realised that I should have intervened in some ways. But the thing is. They're all grown men. They're tour managers. These are the guys that basically make sure that we get on, you know, to the church on time. Yeah, and yeah. Sort of stuff, right. So I didn't have any reason to question what they were doing, but it was all coming from my management uh, and my and my promotional team, um, based on uh, the ethos or the ethics of it. But if I had seen what was going on, I would have said, "I cannot do this because it would put us in a bad light in the sense of that you're asking for money of which." we should be basically supporting you on. So, you, so you, there's no need for you to go up and ask us to ask the public to pay $5, yeah, yeah. you know, to, for something which we should be looking after. So I, get, I understand that. So there's me, Seth Troxler, Dubfire, Joseph Caparazzi, 
Nick Armadale, the list goes on. And all these tour managers, all, all the guys, that they all came together and they all done this as a collective. So I saw this going up and I, you know, $5 and, and nobody, really, nobody really said anything about it. It just said, oh, well, you know, that's what they're doing. And then, you know, this guy decides to edit the video for his own kind of shock jock purposes, yeah. which was shocking. Yeah. I only saw it on a Tuesday morning, I think it was, I was at a friend's and I woke up and I just saw this thread just going like this. I looked at it and he's on there and I was just like, what the hell is this? Yeah, yeah. You know? And, uh, and I had DJ Cassie, she, she was really sticking it to me. Dave Clark, he was sticking it to me. Maceo Plex, he was all my peers are sticking it to me based on that I was supposed to be a billionaire DJ that's not looking after my tour manager and I'm asking the public to pay for him. Yeah. That was it, you know, and it seems, how dare, how dare, how dare that, that Carl Cox is, a, is a, asking us for money where we're in the, you know, now pandemic times, he's earned all this money from us. And, you know, it just got completely taken out of context. And then, and then to the point where, I mean, all the other, you know, DJs were getting also a, a lot of stick, but nowhere near as much as I, what, I, what I was getting. And, and Ian, unfortunately, you know, knew that the way how it was going was wrong. And the only one that could fix it was Ian to go yeah. back out with the tour manager and say, what we did was, was wrong. We, we was ignorant to the fact that actually Carl does look after him very, very yeah, well. Yeah. Um, and, and has been, uh, even through this pandemic, he still gets paid. But the thing is about it is, you know, I was taken completely out of context with the whole thing. Yeah. And so anytime I was sticking my head above the parapet or anything like that, the, the hate that I got from it was just unbelievable. And I just can't believe that people could just turn like that yeah. on something that they didn't understand. And then I've got my peers actually st sticking it to me as well. And I was just like, but you know me better than that. So when Dubfire spoke to Cassie, Cassie said, I don't care if you, about you know, what you're selling me. At the end of the day, you're not taking care of your tour managers. I don't really want to know you. Dubfire was like, but I had dinner with you like a month ago and you was absolutely fine. And I'm sure, Carol, there was an element of like, before these guys went out in public, like, do you want to pick up the phone and ask me what my version of this event is before you go, you know, you know me so well, like, yeah. Yeah, you would think so, and they just didn't do it. The only person that's actually, actually retracted and, and felt sorry by what he had done because he didn't truly understand it. And when I told him about the story of radio department and the guy that I was working with, and his name is John Askew, um, he, he couldn't believe it. He was like, I'm so sorry, yeah. you know? And he put it in an email and I, I was on the phone to him. I said, I said, don't worry. I said, you're the only person, this Maceo Plex has come back and truly understood what had happened to me. And he felt sorry by all the crap that I had to endure. Yeah. I was still getting a couple of people that say, oh, I'll pay your tour manager. Yeah. And I just think if, if, if you're sounding really stupid now is because if anyone knows me, they know that you know, he's taken care of more than you're probably taken care of at the moment. And, and, and I wouldn't do that. That's not in my nature yeah. or my character to be that type of person. So it took a little while. And, and, I was, I was, and I was also quite gutted because, you know, a lot of charity things were happening through streaming and I wasn't able to get behind them because everyone was thinking that, that I was basically making more money yeah, myself out yeah. of being involved in a charity, which was not true whatsoever. Yeah. Um, but eventually I've stuck my head across the parapet. I got a bit of crap uh, initially, but then it started calming down, coming down. And now no one says a word about yeah, it anymore. Yeah. They, they now realise that it was all bullshit yeah. by what had happened. I think as well, Carol, you know, <clears throat> there's a good lesson in, as well in that like, 
or not not a lesson but like probably development and how to deal with social media because the virtual mm. and social media i mean you're someone who has got an incredible reputation in our industry for being nice and warm and you do like i mean this year alone i think i've seen you do like five or six streams for like you know the the lebanese appeal the yep. london children's hospital the yep. <laughs> food program i mean i could go on the list is endless but like everybody just like turns a blind eye to this stuff over like a four second video clip not understanding the context yeah. of it it's you know it, it was quite um how, how did you find dealing with all the social media element to it did, 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 did it did, did it kick you into a hole do you reckon yeah i i, I stayed off for two weeks so i just yeah, I, right. you know i was gutted yeah you know because I, i've always used social media for good not evil you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, yeah. and but then but then it really shows how evil people can be also once something like that happens you know yeah. it's kind of like the inimitable chink in the armor and then they just went for it and just stuck the knife in yeah and um and you know obviously many people don't know actually know who i am as a person they, they, they only know the perception of it and there's, there's always there's got to be something wrong with him ah there it is yeah, yeah, yeah you know and i really copped it you know every day i just felt gutted that i'm not able to reach out to to you know people as a whole you know based on how, how i have been in the past and i mean i sit here now you know with this pandemic and everything um and the cabin fever show started just because i thought about other people yeah not myself about the reason why i'm doing these shows because i don't have to do any of them nah. you know at all but all this vinyl that's sitting here um and they have been sitting there for many years i just felt now is a really good time to get people to understand where i come from yeah so i'm playing hip-hop jazz funk i'm playing soul music yeah i'm playing latin jazz i'm playing hard techno rave it's all here all, all yeah, the music yeah. history and every every week is something different and and that was really supporting other people to you know uh uh, uh in their lives and, and and have something to look forward to <clears throat> for me not to be involved in social media on that on that level um would have been very very sad you know every time i go up and say something and then every time somebody says something derogatory and it just makes you go back into her again it um it, it, i felt like i was in uh, a part of the social dilemma movie yeah you know what i mean on on, on how yeah. that made you how, how that's perce the perception on on how the social media uh, controls you in some ways i didn't feel controlled but i did feel let down yeah by how the people's attitudes towards what they didn't know yeah so yeah. but now they know i had to push through all of that emotionally um, and then to get to a place where I'm, like, I'm not gonna let this beat me yeah and people need to know that i'm doing this for the right reason so today i'm sitting here with probably i've recorded probably over 70 streams yeah amazing 70 and yeah. 36 of them is live shows for cabin fever yeah and, and still and still making the show show 37 today yeah. not tomorrow actually good on you mate it's like you're just continually injecting positivity into people's lives and it must have been hard during that period to kind of the first the first live stream back after that because you don't know if they're still going to be idiots on social media just looking to stick the dagger in you know yeah and it was the first time when we had you know uh, admin uh, two admins so as soon as anything went out about tour manager off he goes yeah, off yeah, he yeah. goes off he goes and then it, and then it started to the, the balance between you know yeah. the positive uh, uh, over the negative yeah but it's, yeah but some people man are so so evil and mean it's yeah. just like whoa yeah i'll start getting memes and dickheads on my on my forehead and all yeah, sorts of stuff yeah. and, I was like, wow, I, I would never do that to anyone. Yeah. I'd have to find out first on, on, on the facts of what it, what it entailed and then take, take my view from there. If I was able to do that, 
um, and then people would have another, a different understanding of what actually happened. And this is probably the first time I've spoke, spoken about it to anyone. Yeah. I haven't really, because as soon as, as, soon as uh, you, you know, you put yourself in that arena, um, people have their own opinions, but I just didn't want to rip off that band-aid again you know what of course, i mean of, <laughs> of emotions because it was just like hard enough to get past it to begin with yeah but to but to be able to do what i do now today and to do like set for love which we did last week for last night at dj saved my life foundation um if i had done that in in the same time in fact i couldn't do that uh when it all when it, when it was happening yeah. I, had, I had i said look if i go on there to do this for you guys you're going to get the worst attention so Right, let's do the next one. And when I did the next one, I got a couple of stupid messages, but the rest of it was all positive. Amazing. And now, since then, I'm able to do whatever I like on social media. Yeah. You're always going to get the haters. You're always going to get people that are yeah. jealous and, and, and upset with you, my success, whatever. But that's how they're feeling, not how I'm feeling. I've gone through the same amount of anguish and, and dismay and, and you know, about my industry, about my my life, you know, with my family yeah. and uh, as much as anyone. Um, but this is the one way of being able to give back to people to, to give me the strength to carry on doing what I'm doing. Amazing. You mentioned there you took a break from social media, like for a couple of weeks after that happened. Do you, when was the last time you had a break from social media before that? Or is it something you ever think about doing like even like a couple of days at a time? I'm mm. guessing with your job, you have to be on all the time. Well, since 2016, when I split with my management, manager Lynn Cosgrave um, I was at a, always at a social media team and I just did add my personal one with friends yeah, yeah so I didn't really need to worry about that too much initially uh, but since I split with her and everything I started managing myself um, it's very important for me to control what was going on <coughs> there understand yeah. you know what Twitter does and and how it gets to people and, and Instagram and you know I, I don't I'm not on all of them not on TikTok I'm not, <coughs> I'm, not on, I'm not on all of them it's impossible to me to sit here yeah, and yeah. social media because that would just literally do, do your head in so I concentrate on Facebook <coughs> on Facebook yeah I concentrate on my my um, uh, Facebook um, Colcott's Motorsport Facebook yeah and and we basically just share whatever I do on Facebook to Instagram and Instagram to Twitter yeah awesome that's it yeah <laughs> most people get on twitter and go uh, i don't I, i'm just not interested you know twitter on, twitter yeah. nonsense um tiktok um that's actually not a bad platform to get onto but it's another platform yeah i don't need another to get distraction onto yeah i don't need to really get onto tiktok yeah. so it, this is enough for me yeah at the end yeah. of the day um but i because i do personally run uh Colcox, uh facebook official uh the fan page on that one um it, it's always good that you know, it, it comes from me to the fans yeah. rather than through some admin yeah. of someone's, you know, speaking on my behalf. And that seems to work really well. Yeah, cool. Uh, it sounds like you've obviously, you know, there's been a few challenges for you in 2020, but you're coming out the other end, like pretty positive out of it all. What, what, what are you looking forward to most when we come out the other end of this whole challenge we're going through at the moment? I think we're all going to become. I think we're going to be better people. Yeah. And once we start to meet each other again, of understanding of what we've all gone through in 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 some ways, and have our stories about how did you handle it? Yeah. What did you do? You know. Uh, I mean, I'm on the phone to a lot of my friends um, that are in isolation and they're at home alone, and and um, there's right. so much Netflix you can watch and that yeah. sort of stuff. Where they want some human interaction and that kind of thing, and. Um, and how they got, how they get through it. I mean, there's a lot of depressed people out there as well, you know, uh, based on that, they don't know how they're going to get out of this 
this ideal, no job, no friends, no girlfriends or boyfriends, um, they've got no children to support, or if they do have children, they're doing your head in, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, All yeah. Of, it's so much stuff going on, it's just when you have a, just a natural conversation with, with your friend to have a glass of wine or a beer or something, you know, these are the sort of things I'm, gonna, I'm really looking forward to, in the end, to, to get back to some sort of mind mindset normality yeah. of how we continue in our life to be happy. Yeah. Um, and you know, just having a party isn't good enough. You know, I think socially as human beings, I think this is where we get our strengths back back again. And then if we're going to end up at that party, and then we're going to make the, the best out of it. Yeah. Not not like oh, I'm going to I'll go I'll go to that party next week. Oh, you know, don't worry, I'll, I'll see that DJ tomorrow. No, you won't. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to party right now. You'll see that <laughs> DJ this instant. So you know, yeah. it's it's. I think you're going to get you're going to see a lot more you know positiveness and a lot more uh, people doing uh, uh, things right now. Yeah. Don't leave it because the thing about this pandemic, when it all happened, it happened like that. Yeah. You know, one day I was playing, next day I'm on a flight back to Melbourne, Australia, yeah. and I'm going to get locked down. Yeah. And then locked down for five to six months. Yeah. Bloody hell, who saw that coming? No, yeah. no one, you know? And then how you deal with all of that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, when, it, when it first happened, I, you know, I was having quite a lot of interviews with magazines and that. And it's, what are you doing? You know, are you going to come back and play in IB for this summer? I'm like, no. I said, what do you mean no? Can you kind of be more positive? I said, we are in the, one of the worst pandemics that we've, we're ever going to enjoy in our life. And it ain't going to just snap out of yeah. it over, you know. We're not going to be in amnesia or, or passion. We're not going to be rocking out this year. Oh, what do you mean? It will be there. Will I said, it, it just won't. Nobody believed me. Yeah. Nobody. And then, of course, you know, lockdown, clubs cl closed, nothing's happening, our beef was shut, ding, ding. I said, what do you want me to tell you? And then I said, well, when are you coming back? And I said, well, probably April or May, you know, 2021. <sighs> what do you mean? Can't come back. Well, it's still going to continue into yeah. the new year. Um, I might not be able to leave her at the moment as well, you know, to go back to England. If I do, I can't come back. Um, I, I normally would have left it in March to go home anyway, but there's going to be no events for me to play in America because all these big events that I used to do are all gone. Yeah. And that means it might be a year since I've, since I've been able to leave to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, but I, I did say that, that I would leave to go back to see my family and friends at least by the end of May. Yeah, yeah. So I've just got to dig in, yeah. to stay and dig in, enjoy being here all the way through until then. And when I get to Europe and I see my family and friends, I'm going to be very, very happy to see them, of course. Have you, have you kept in contact with your, with your sisters and your niece and nephew? Watch? Yeah, yeah, all the time. You know, I mean, they, they miss me, of course, and I miss them because I always see them every year. Yeah. They want to go back and everything. But this year, you know, when I've seen them and, you know, it's hard to, to see them on Facebook and on, on WhatsApp and everything, you know, because you can see the emotion between ourselves because we're just not together or haven't been. But it's good to see that they're, they're, they're well and, and they're kind of happy in, in the position that they're in at the moment Brilliant. and they're getting on with it. Yeah, good on you. And uh, I think one of the things we always do when we wrap up the podcast is I've got a little segment called Secrets from the Other Half where I talk to someone close about the artist I'm interviewing and asking them <laughs> a bit of an interesting question. Is it true that you used to be a bit of a fanatical Neighbours fan when you were younger? And <laughs> yes. that, that, that was a factor in how you're yes. living here. Yeah, it was. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Uh, Harold and Madge and, 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 and uh, Toadfish and, you know, yeah. So, yeah, I, I was. You're, you're, living I was the, you're living the dream now. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I used to, you know, come home from school to watch Neighbours. Yeah. And uh, you know, Jason Donovan and, and Guy Pearce and all those guys and, uh, and, and, and Robinson, Paul Robinson, uh, all of them. It was kind of mad to watch that, but I used to watch the Sullivans as well, yeah. Australian. 
and uh, anything Australian I used yeah. to just watch. I don't know why I was always gravitated to anything. You know, Skippy. Yeah. You know, Awesome. Skippy the bush, bush kangaroo. Yeah. You know, he couldn't talk, but he wouldn't do what, what he was trying to say. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I've always been drawn to anything Australian. And then Mad Max came out. He couldn't yeah. get no more Australian oh, than that. Down Geelong. I'm sure you've ripped down there <laughs> yeah. in the bikes, haven't you? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Well, good. Last question. Um, are there any gigs that are on your bucket list that you haven't played? You know, you've said now that, you know, people are just going to not they're going to seize the moment when we come out of this mm. in case we have something like this. Is there, you've had your careers just like you've ticked every box. Is there anything you've, you've left on the DJ front that you want to check off the list? Yeah, the moon. <laughs> oh, I want to go to the moon and I want to go, yeah. go up there and then basically give that a bit of a blast. I mean, I've, I've, I've been around the planet yeah. many, many times and I cannot think of anywhere that I haven't been now yeah. that, I, that I would like to play. And I think the, the one that's uninhabited at the moment, yeah. but I reckon it could do with a good party. <laughs> It's on the moon, so so you know there've been aspirations of me going up there anyway to do yeah. something. So I don't think it's too far reaching. There's a space station up there somewhere that could that could that have a nice dance floor and some good sound system up there. I'm oh, sure. Amazing. So yeah, I mean, no me, sound restrictions anyway. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, get me up there. Get me out there. Let me get get me out of here. The, the moon, I reckon, is, is my next destination. Good stuff. Well, Carol, look, thanks so much for coming on the Raising <laughs> the Vibration podcast. I mean, we always end up uh, saying talking to the artist about how they're raising the vibration in 2020 but your continual output of like music and and live streams for like other causes as well has just been so inspirational and just positive vibes all around man you're <laughs> always like most happy camper and spreading yeah. spreading the message and spreading the love just you know i think i think your fans really need it at this time and yeah, yeah we hope the cabin fever stuff keeps coming because it's yeah. really keeping a lot of people motivated and positive and yeah it, it is and i really do enjoy sharing the love of music and especially through vinyl yeah you know, because what's really nice for me is that you know this is my life history of all the music that i've collated over the years and when i play when i do all these cabin fevers it's like the first time i heard these records again yeah. you know and that's why i'm so excited by it yeah uh, but nobody's really seen me play on turntables for years as well so when they see me on turntables and mixing them I go, ah, now we know why he's where he is. Yeah. <laughs> and just the last thing, um, we're, we're obviously, there's a group of us doing a run in the, like next week, which you've been totally very supportive of. And there's actually, I'll, I'll let you tell your story about how um, your cataract surgery and the effect <laughs> that that's had for you. Yeah, through, through all of this, this pandemic, um, my um, cataracts was, was failing. It was getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, as we were talking before about my, about my driving uh, racing efforts, um, you really need to, your sight to be able to, oh, to, to know where you're going at least, you know, with everything that's happening. And it's just funny, it's just for, uh, a month in or two months in, into, the, into, um, uh, into the pandemic regime, my eyes was just failing, you know, I was, I was kind of driving back from, from the studio back home, uh, just doing that. Um, the glare of the other lights and that kind of stuff was really bothering and disturbing me. So I went to go to, to an eye specialist and said, yeah, your cataracts are failing. The, the only way you can fix them is by having surgery and having uh, lenses <coughs> uh, put into my corneas and, and then, you know, and they'll heal up after some certain time and then you'll be fine. I'm like, uh, I hate anything to do with my eyes yeah, at all. Yeah. I can't even, I can't even put Optrex in my eyes. It's <laughs> the most difficult thing. It's quite funny because I went to the eye, eye specialist yesterday for a checkup, and I said your eyes are fine, everything's really good. Um, and I said to the lady there, I said oh, I can't even believe I had this done because I hate anything put, in, put into my eyes, even Optrex. So she goes, 
Go and find the program of Friends where Jennifer Aniston also doesn't like to have anything to do with really? it. <laughs> Go find it. And I found it yesterday. And everything that she was doing is everything that I, that I, really? that I was, you know, trying to put optics in her eyes. And, and she's like not having any of yeah. it at all. And they, and they all had to physically hold her down and they just sprayed it over her face. Yeah. And they kept her eyes open. I was like, that's me right there. Yeah. So there's a program about the phobia of what I had to go through. And what made it even worse for me is that, that I had uh, a surgery on my right eye on my birthday, the 29th of July. And I couldn't believe it. I said, can I get out of that date? He said, no, because if you go a, a week later, you're going to have to have another COVID check. Yeah, right. Um, which I didn't want to do. I wanted to have that COVID check once. So I had to have the, the, the left eye on the 22nd and the right eye on the 29th. So I woke up, happy birthday to me. Eye surgery. Yeah, right. <laughs> but since I've had it done, it's been fantastic. I'm wearing these glasses here. Uh, I don't need to wear them, yeah. uh, actually, because uh, now they've, they've been corrected in, the, in a way. Um, but I can see everything from, from afar. But on a distance, it's a little bit difficult. So I wear these, uh, yeah. th th these glasses. They're only lenses. Um, they're not corrective lenses in any way, shape, or form. But they do really help for if I'm wearing my mobile phone yeah. or I'm watching the screen when I'm working. And then I put these on. Yeah. But also, I like wearing glasses still. So <laughs> it makes you look smart. So, yeah, it makes me look much smarter. So, so they go back on. Well, yeah, look, thanks for all your support. Because, you know, obviously, we're trying to raise as much money as we can. The electronic music community in Melbourne. And we're obviously doing this event. And it's $25 can restore the gift of sight, which yeah. is like just such an unbelievable achievement for such a small amount of money so thanks for your time today thanks Thank for your you. support during the run and yeah stay positive my man <laughs> i will do Cheers, bro thanks very much